Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, it's uh, it's Michael Adams, and it's Old Religion Dystopia, Knowing Versus Belief. I'm sorry for the voice, and I wish I had a stronger voice right now, but I don't, so please forgive me. If you want to hear the actual sermon, go to Living on the Edge with Chris, excuse me, not Chris, Chip Ingram, and there'll be a section there that says listen now, and you can listen to it. Okay, Spiritual Warfare warfare of 101. What is the Invisible War? Part 2. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Can Satan read my mind? or even control my thoughts. Chip shares that if we are going to have victory over Satan, you need to know who he is, how he works, and what weapons he will use against you. Then you might be asking why. What does this have to do with big, Bigfoot and all the other entities that are even Capture on film and people see. Well, I strongly believe that what you're seeing are demonic entities serving the dark side. And we need to be careful and not to be deceived. Five basic truths about special warfare. Number one, There is an invisible world that is just as real as the visible world. Number two, we are involved in an invisible war, a cosmic conflict that has eternal implications. Number three, our foe is formidable and his goal is to destroy us, destroy us and discredit the cause of Jesus Christ. I read a, now. This is I'm just reading from uh, uh, the transcript from uh, Chip Ingram's uh, uh, presentation. I don't know if it was more of a present, it's more of a presentation than a sermon, per se. But anyways, <clears throat> he says this. I read a book, and the fellow who wrote it summarized Satan's goal. Quote, Satan and his forces have a plan. I love the way he puts this. To terrorize your soul. To render you impotent as a believer. To make you worthless in the cause of Jesus. And to make your life one of misery and spiritual defeat. Now, he he says Christ, but I'm replacing that with Jesus just so we have no uh, confusion on which Christ we're talking about. I cannot improve on that. Wow. Do you realize there are personal demonic spirits who want to terrorize your soul? They want to render you impotent as a believer. They want to make your life miserable. Wow, isn't that the case? I discovered that big time of late. <laughs> I got involved with this Bigfoot research stuff. I'm like, gosh. You say that's pretty strong. Well, look at the scripture. 
1 Peter 5, 8. Peter, in this situation, writes, Be sober. The word means be serious. Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Literally, the word means wake up. Isn't that interesting in the truth or movement? And everyone says, it's time to wake up. you got to wake up. How they neglect this one most important thing. <laughs> if you're in the middle of a spiritual warfare. They don't want to give you the answer. The solution to the problem. Most of them don't know it anyways. Then again, once again, we're in the middle of a spiritual war. Anyways, <clears throat> get on top of your game. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It doesn't say he's playing tag. He's seeking someone to devour. You know what? Some things happen in the room and it's really good. Something's happening right now in the room, and it's really good. Do you know what it is? I've, I've seen on a few faces that recognition of, man, this is serious. You know what happened? This has gone, gone from intellectual, yeah, I believe in Satan, demons, it's all a good weekend at this retreat to man. It's starting to sink in, in the room. This is real. Some of your minds, I can tell, you're uh, starting to process some potential areas where maybe some of this stuff is happening. That's why he says, be sober, be alert. Your enemy, your adversary, the one who wants to destroy you and those you love, he, prowl, he is prowling around. What does, or excuse me, what do lions do when they prowl? They're looking. They're looking. They're looking. They're looking for something that's vulnerable and easy to kill. So it's not all time. It's in, It's at the right time, in the right way. It's when you're low, when you're tired, when you're traveling. It's late at night. It's after everyone goes to bed. It's when something pops up on the computer screen and you think, oh, it's when something comes on the tube. And you would never watch that if anyone else was in the room. You say, oh, that is shocking. That's terrible. I can't believe they put that on in prime time. I hope no one comes in and looks. And you're sucked in. And then you feel dirty. And you feel bad. And you feel sick. And you say, I'm a believer. I'm a leader in my in the church, and I can't believe I watched ten minutes of this junk. And then the enemy comes and says, "What? You call yourself a Christian? Right, right. See, he he gets you with the temptation, and then the doubt, the double whamming." double whammy of guilt condemnation, right? Look at the text says. Look at what the text says. He is formidable. We gotta respect him. Jude 9 says, but Michael the archangel, when dis he disputed with the devil and was arguing about the body of Moses, he did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Remember that. When you're dealing with these entities and being terrorized by them. 
then the Lord, Lord rebuke you in his precious blood. Atone for your sins. They have to respect the blood, and they have to respect the Lord's tongue for you. You won't get this from your average Bigfoot researcher. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I'm not. The biblical data says, you know what? This isn't causal, or casual, excuse me. We never need to be afraid of him. But there needs to be a healthy respect for Satan and demonic forces. We're in a battle. Once again, I'm sorry for my reading. I will leave the link where you can listen to it yourself. And uh, for those who can't stand my reading, I understand. But I hope that you at least go to the link and listen. And really take to heart what I'm trying to share here with you because uh, we've been deceived and lied to about a lot of things when it comes to Sasquatch Bigfoot, the forest people and all that. There's a lot of liars out there trying to deceive us. They don't give you the answer. It's not a gun. It's not flashing lights. Your gun. It's the full armor of God. It's putting your trust in Heavenly Father and what Jesus has done for him. The one thing this satanic realm that we live in and it's Satan and his minions don't want you to to know. Anyways, get off my high horse here. Now I want you to stop right here and I want you and I wanna give you one clear picture of one of the biggest lies, one of the biggest lies. This is not true overseas, but evangelical Christianity in America. Here's one of the biggest lies that Satan has going. He has convinced us that God is a cosmic vending machine, that the world is a playground, and the goal is to be happy. Now, the way to be happy is to love Jesus. And the way you love is Jesus is reading your Bible and pray, and go to church. If you really want to love him, give money. Give off the top. Be nice to other people. Then, the unconscious deal is you push all those right buttons. It's A1, B2, C4, H3. If you do those things, by the way, by and be morally clean, at least better than most people, you'll have an awesome marriage. Your kids will all turn out right. They'll all be upwardly mobile. Mobile. You'll never have a bad day. Hard times, bad times, bad health, cancer. That's for other people. If you do what God wants you to do, he's a cosmic vending machine. You just figure out the formula, and he'll come through for you. See personal fulfillment. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be happy. I was on a call and radio program. This, once again, is Chip speaking. And I wrote a book called Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships and talked about the purity of life and how God makes relationships. And this lady calls on the phone, and I, the lady was honest at least, 
a number of people called trying to figure out how can I get out of this marriage? And, you know, it's really hard and I'm really unfulfilled and on and on and on. And finally, one lady goes, look, you know, she's on the wire and I'm on the wire and they've got this host. And she goes, I know one thing for sure. God wants me to be happy. And I am not happy with him. I know the Bible says God hates divorce, but I know he, he'll forgive me because he wants me happy. So I divorced him. 50% of evangelical community is doing the same thing in, to this happiness cult. And you know what? There are a lot of people don't do that. They are really disappointed and really down on God. Hey, God, how could this happen to my son if you really love me? I've been serving you with all my life, and he was in a car wreck. Or I got the cancer, I got the cancer of a friend over here. Or, you know what? I was really generous with my money, and I was saving it in some of those big money markets, and the economy went down the tube, and I lost 40% of my net worth. And after all, I given, what the, what's the deal, God? Translation? I'm really mad at God because I'm supposed to be in a playground. And the goal of a playground is to have fun and be self-fulfilled. He's supposed to be my self-help genie to make my life work out and make me happy and make me a happy camper. Contrast that with the truth. That is a lie. Now, there's a lot of truth woven into it, isn't there? God does love to bless us. God is a good God. God wants to meet the deepest needs and desires of our hearts. However, it's not at all a playground. It's a battlefield. It's in a battlefield. You're in a war. Can you imagine one of our young guys over in Iraq or Afghanistan with an M16, a helmet on, and a 60 or 70 pound pack walking through, finally uh, taking a break, sits down, opens some terrible rations, takes a couple bites and goes, oh, this just isn't. We try to guess, oh, this just isn't tasty at all. Do people complain about the food when the issues are life and death? When you're dragging your buddy, when there's fire coming, and you're dragging your buddy, you go, you know. I don't feel very fulfilled right now. And you know what? We're here for a very short time. And there's an invisible war. And it is a battle. And the bullets are real. And the impact and implications are eternal. And we have bought the lie. And so we save up our money for our security. And we try and align Everything so that we can be happy. And then we get mad at God when things don't come out our way. The enemy has deluded us. And on every magazine and movie and book, he's given us all the same message. And now 
We've got 15 million Christian books telling us to be happy in Jesus, how to overcome, overcome loneliness, how to overcome everything so your life will work for you. Our foe is formidable. Now I want you to know to do the excuse me. Now I want you to do is let me try the guess. Now what I want you to do is I'd like you to turn the page, and this is obviously referring to his uh, lecture notes. And I want you to uh, and I wanna address the obviously when you look at these notes, you're thinking, you know, we're gonna be here until about midnight. Hope it's not like when the Apostle Paul was teaching once and the guy went so long that he fell out of the window. We're not going to go there. But what I want you to do to know is I put this here for a reason. I want to give you the background. This is the teaching time. This is a teaching time. This whole weekend is going to be much more teaching than preaching. And what I've done is I've given you these notes and all the passages so that you can look up them up for yourselves. But I want to, but I want to highlight because what I know is. In a group this size, there are some people who, even what I've said so far, it's your background. Nothing wrong with you, nothing bad. It's just deep down in your heart right now, you wouldn't say this out loud, but you're thinking, Satan, demons, this is a little out there. You know, I love God, but this is a little out there. I thought this guy was pretty solid, and I am not sure what I think. I'm a little uncomfortable. And then there are other people all the way over here who may, many of you have been studying the Bible, and you've experienced some things I've talked about. Okay, buddy, let's dig in. Here's what I want to show both groups, the authority of the scripture, the authority of Jesus, the amount of material in, that the New Testament gives to the reality of Satan and demons, it will blow your mind. This isn't some tiny topic for a corner. So with that, let's do an investigation. Who is Satan? Is he for real? The authority of the Bible. Hey, from the beginning, Genesis 3.1. But the middle of the Bible. And not quite there in First Chronicles. And all the way at the end in Revelation. He is a major player in all of Scripture. Jesus thought he was real. 25 different references. And he has personal encounter and a personal encounter in Matthew 4 of the reality of demons demons and Jesus I think someone says it's up to 20 to 30 percent of Jesus interaction and parables and miracles had to do with demons I'm gonna sneeze <laughs> excuse me I said this again 25 to 30 percent of Jesus interactions and parables and miracles had to do with demons. He must have thought they were real. Well, who then is Satan? A little background here. He is a created spirit. According to Colossians 1 and Job 1, he's an angel. There from Matthew 25 and Revelation 12, 
of the category of angels, he's a cherubim. In Ezekiel 28, this is not a cute little angel, like on the Hallmark card. This is not a puffy little cherub-like. This is one of the highest class of angelic beings. And in fact, from Ezekiel 28, he was the highest created being. And as you study Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, those are the two core Old Testament passages. There is this uh, uh, double thing going on where they talk about a historical person and a historical person, and then they use that as a window. Apparently, what energized... Apparently... It apparently was energized by Satan or demonic forces. We get real input into Satan, his fall, and what occurred in those two passages. Where did he come from? He was a created perfect. He was a heavenly he had a heavenly estate. His job was to be the guardian of God's glory. Ezekiel twenty eight. The occasion of his sin. Are you ready for this? He had more power than anyone in all the universe except God. And he was more beautiful than anything or anyone but God. The nature of his sin was pride. First Timothy three six tells us and Isaiah fourteen thirteen. See, we've got these warped ideas of a little man in a red suit with a pitchfork. The Satan of the scriptures is the most intelligent, highest, most beautiful, awesome being in the universe that God had created. But then, what we find is he gets full of himself. His occasion is he wants to be God. He's not satisfied with all that he has. He wants to be God. He makes a personal choice according to Habakkuk. Habakkuk 113, James tells us that any time anyone sins, it's a personal choice. <clears throat> Interesting, I had an experience in the past couple of weeks of somebody who was part of the uh, the dark side, who was part of a, I won't mention any names, but part of a, involved in a satanic ritual in which uh, these people sacrificed a, an innocent girl and a, and a goat, and guess who showed up? And the guy said, yep, he was beautiful. I hope that that person that shared this story, I hope there's a place in heaven. God will find a way It prove to everyone that even a sinner like that was involved in the most vile things and find redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. I can't imagine being part of any something that evil. But I do know one thing. The things that I've experienced uh, in this researching of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, forest people is not good. It's deception, pure and simple, and it's not a God. If it makes you upset, I don't mean to upset you, but the truth has to be said. With the hope that you're not led astray, or driven to fear or madness, because that's exactly what's going to happen to many of you who pursue this this uh, path. If you don't put God first and you don't get the right motive why you're doing what you're doing, 
get yourself in a hell of a lot of trouble. Anyways, so we're talking about here that about Satan being a, so <clears throat> the complete opposite. So what you see on television and what you see are those people, uh, a guy with a pitchfork and all red and all that, uh, it's complete opposite. And those who have experienced him, witnessed it, this being, see, you can't judge how dangerous it is to judge a book by its cover, huh? Be careful. I actually jotted down some thing that may be of some help. In Isaiah 14, there are five statements that he makes, and I'll just highlight them. And you can go back and check them for yourself. They're they're what I call the I will statements. And just listen to the pride. He says, I will send to heaven. Uh, He wanted to occupy the abode of God. He wanted equal recognition with God. Sounds like a lot of these New Agers. You're never going to have it. And by you pursuing this, (laughs) it's deception. Oh, yeah, you get a little abode, equal abode with your God, which unfortunately is going to be Satan. doesn't make me happy to say that. Anyways, then he said, I will rise, raise my throne above the stars. The stars in context here are other angels. He wants to be uh, uh, the top spot. Third, he says, I will sit in the mount of the assembly. The mount of the assembly in the context here is where God ruled. He was saying, I want God's rules, rules, rulership position. Then he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And the clouds indicate the glory of God. He wants the glory of God. And we know what God says. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another. Thank goodness. Then finally, I will make myself the mo- like the Most High, and that's been his strategy personally. And once he fell, a third of the angels followed him. Give you perspective. Ever get a chance in a clear night sky, where it's not all been blotted out by the city lights and etc. Light pollution, if you will. And imagine how many are right here with us or all around us. But remember, we also learned that if you stay close to the Lord, put your faith in in Jesus, that there are more angels on your side than are on the devils. Remember that. No matter what happens. God's wisdom. Just never know. Anyways, so Satan wants to make himself like the Most High. And that's been his strategy personally. And once they fell, a third of the angels or stars followed him. And basically, what he did in the garden was tell Eve, you can be like him. And that's been the strategy through craft and lies and disguise ever since. We want to usurp God. We want to be the center of the universe. There's one creator. Everyone else is the creatures. There's one infinite personal reference point. He is there. He is not silent. All of us are created beings designed to know him, be loved by him, worship him, be taken care of by him, and have lives that are fulfilled with 
fruitfulness and joy and relationship with him in each other. And at the heart of, of sin is breaking the barrier, crossing the line, missing the mark, and saying, I, I want to be like God. I want to be the center of attention. I want life to be about my dreams, my agenda, my fulfillment. And that was at the heart of Satan's. When the scripture speaks of Satan, it's not some small passing comment or a figure of speech or a metaphor for evil. He is a fallen, powerful angel who leads a rebellion of a third of the angels of heaven. And what I strongly believe that 99% of what people are saying, if not 100%, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'll just say, I'll be generous and say 90% of what you're seeing out there is just that. Demons, fallen angels, part of the demonic realm. And you become demon-possessed, and you chase after it, and you need more and more of it to the point you forget about God. not a message that most want to hear, but it is the truth. Sure, you can have thousands of followers, and sure, you can have quote-unquote fans. What a price to pay. Really think this through. It's more than just whether or not I've got motion cameras, or I got uh, a guns and everything else. You're talking about your eternal salvation and what road you're going down. Anyways, rebellion of a third of angels in heaven. He now seeks to destroy all that is good and God ordained. Were you aware? When you walked in, and he's obviously talking to the folks in this lecture. Uh, when you walked in, there were this many verses given to Satan and demonic activity. Well, if you think that's a lot, let's go to the fourth basic truth. The fourth basic truth about spiritual warfare is that we must respect our foe, but not fear him. Become acutely aware of his methods, but not be preoccupied with him. We need to respect him. Yes, there's an invisible world. Yes, there's an invisible war. Yes, there's a reality of a Satan. We've got a battle on our hands, but we don't need to be afraid, and we don't need to get preoccupied. And when you start hearing all these fear stories and fearful stories, you might want to ask yourself, especially when you talk about Sasquatch and Bigfoot and all those other things, who is that coming from? Just a question I ask you to ask yourself. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he makes a very interesting point here. There's been a situation of immorality, and Paul has forgiven them. And apparently the church is not, real, is not responding real well. And so Paul agrees to forgive a brother. Along with the Corinthian church, he writes in Second. Uh, Corinthians 2.11 in order that no advantage may be taken of us by Satan for we are not ignorant of his. There's our word again. Schemes. Paul says there's something going on here. 
I've forgiven him. We dealt with him. We did church discipline. He repented. He's coming back. Now let's make sure we don't have hardened, bittered, bittered hearts. Why? Lest we not ignorant of his schemes and strategies. The Apostle Paul was saying, what did we learn from Scripture? Be angry. In Ephesians 4.26, but do no sin, lest the devil have an opportunity or a foothold in your life. Do you understand, when we are talking about demonic activity, it's this is not like weird stuff necessarily like the old exorcist movie or this isn't like just paranormal we're talking about unforgiveness bitterness hardened hearts deceived minds that break marriages that split churches that bring about deceptions or depression excuse me and deceptions and cause people to go inward and repress and split churches and bring about depression and cause people to go, you know, go inward and repress and get ulcers and destroy their body. And he says, we're not ignorant of his schemes. I've got a question. Are you ignorant of his schemes? Right? I mean, if he has schemes, but the Apostle Paul said, I understand his schemes, Satan and demons have strategies, and I know what they are. Do you know what they are? Well, here's a good example. Ladies, if you don't like football, just bear with me for a minute. Men and ladies who do like football, don't they run different schemes? Okay, it's Super Bowl. What do the two coaches and their entire staffs do leading up to the Super Bowl? They watch film, don't they? Why do they watch film? They watch film to discover the strategy of the other team. They want to know all the schemes, right? I mean, when Peyton Manning there with the Colts was just blitzing everybody all apart and it looked like he was unstoppable, someone watched a bunch of film, a bunch of film, a bunch of film. And when he got up to the line of scrimmage and the defenses were like this, his doing his doing this and doing this makes all these signs. Someone watched all the film, or watched a lot of film, excuse me. And the next time he got up and did that, they knew the schemes, and he watched a, he, excuse me, he looked as bad in week number three as he looked good in week number one and two. They're they break down the film. So if I'm a defensive back and a guy lines up like this and it's third and seven, I've done the math. I know he'll probably do one of three routes. 67% of the time, he'll do this route. 22% of the time, maybe this route. If he takes a three-step drop, I know he's going to be here. They know all the schemes. Why? Because they want to win. They're in a battle. And they want, and they take it seriously. Because we all know the most important thing in the whole world is to have a little ring on your finger and say, I won a Super Bowl. And get to do commercials and go to Disneyland. I mean, that's what life's all about, right? Why would any grown man 
human beings spend inordinate amounts of hours and neglect his family, right, to get a ring? We've got a whole generation of believers that don't know, have, who don't know, have a, don't not, is he supposed to, don't now is supposed to be, don't now have a clue of what Satan's schemes are. And there's an invisible war going on. And the implications are for eternity. We've got to know his schemes. So you say, well, how do you get to know his schemes? Let me just get you started. His names reveal his schemes. His name is Satan. That means he's the adversary. Devil means slanderer. That means his schemes are going to say false things about other people. Lucifer, it means son of the morning or shiny one. That means he's going to come to you in ways where he not, not, uh, he's not ugly or and scary. He's beautiful, attractive, and winsome. And he will seduce you. Beelzebub literally means the Lord of the dwelling. Beel or B-L-L means it, it was a false god. The evil one. Uh, Hapa Neros. It's the word for absolute corruption. He wants to take everything and corrupt it and make it as evil and bad. What in the world could be in the mind? I read, or I read a while back, of a 10-year-old boy who took a hammer and smashed the skull of a 6-year-old little girl. There's evil in the world. There's real evil. What possesses people to do to put a bomb in, on their body and kill themselves and kill people they don't know? What possesses a company to know they're putting stuff in water that gives people cancer? But it means so many millions of dollars because they don't have to clean it first. It's evil. There's evil in the world. So notice, he's the evil one. He's behind it. He's the tempter. That means he's going to come and say, hey, you think food is something you need and you have a great desire for? Let me give you too much in the wrong way at the wrong time. Let me get you to believe that it can satisfy your emotional needs. Sex is a great thing. It's a gift from God. Let me try and get it to you in an artificial way across the screen or with a different person or in a perverted way. He wants to tempt you. He wants to move you off of what is good and true, and right, and healthy, and wonderful, and winsome, and loving, into shading it to evil, and negative, and destructive. He'll always make it look attractive. He'll tempt you, and oh, no one will find out. He'll twist it in such a way. He was the original sweet tarts, distributor. That's what Satan is. Remember those old candies. You know, you put the sweet tart in and it's really sugary on the outside and then you bite into it and it's sour. That's what sin is. He's a tempter. He takes a shortcut. It won't mean anything until the sour part comes. The trouble is sometimes the sour part doesn't come 
for six weeks or six years or ten years, sowing and reaping. He's the prince of this world, literally, of the age. He has the whole system designed. He's got a system. He's working to create an image so that young girls think that what is attractive is on the front of 17 or cosmopolitan. He has a system where guys think that if they don't have ripped abs and take some steroids and are really tough and really cool, they don't amount to anything. He's got a system to make people think until you get a certain kind of watch and a certain luxury car and a really nice home so much and so much in your 401k and a beach house or some place in Vail, you're not really with it yet. He's got a system, and he's got us chasing our tail, because he's got, he's the God of this world. He's the accuser of the brethren. He condemned me. That's what I experienced, you know. You're no good. You're a terrible wife. You're a terrible dad. You're a terrible Christian. You're worthless. No one will ever love you. Have you ever heard any of those voices? I'll tell you, they're not God. It's the, it's the enemy. He comes in different ways, as a serpent, as a dragon, as an angel of light, as a father of lies. He's going to come at, come at you. The serpent will be crafty. The dragon will produce fear. The angel of light will just win you over. The father of lies is behind it all. Satan attacks God's program. Look at this. I mean, you want to be a little Bible... I mean, you want to do a little Bible study? He attacks God's program, the church, by... Notice this, false philosophies, false religions, false ministers, false doctrines, false disciples, false morals. Every one of those passages in their given credence to demonic satanic activity. Do you have any idea that he was behind all that stuff? Satan attacks God's people by directing governments, deceiving men, destroying life, persecuting the saints, uh, preventing service. Did you know that Apostle Paul, he's a heavyweight. He said to the Thessalonians, sorry, he said to the Thessalonians, I know what I'm trying to say. Thessalonians. I've tried to get there. I wanted to help you, but Satan prevented me. He's trying to mess up what God is doing. He plants doubts. God shows you what to do. And oh, doubt. And then provoking sin. Look at the list of sins that are in the New Testament that are tied with demonic activity, anger, pride, worry, self-reliance, discouragement, worldliness, lying, and morality. He produces sex and cults. According to 1 Timothy 4.1, he is a deceiver. I've got a good buddy back in Santa Cruz, came to Christ, first-generation Japanese. He's a teacher at one of the universities now, and we had a conversation. He became a good friend and did a little discipleship together. 
and you, and you talk about lies and false religions. He talked to me about his grandfather, and his grandfather was involved in the Second World War. In Japan, and in Japan at the time, all the children, his grandfather, all the children were taught the emperor is God. The emperor is God. And he proclaimed, I am God. And those of you, there's some gray hair that were in World War II. They won't, they would rather die. They took their planes and they went into ships. My dad was a, was at Guam in Iwo Jima. And he said they would rather die than surrender because they were going to be faithful to the cause, to the emperor. They wouldn't go home as a coward. And after the bomb dropped in Hiroshima, the emperor, the first day after they surrendered, said, and here was the statement, I never knew this, I am not God, he said. My grandfather was a sincere good man who gave his life for what he thought was a worthy cause. And from that time he was little, I believed. The emperor was God. He gave his life for our country. Is that a lie? Is that deception? Did that destroy? So who's behind it? That's an easy one to pick up. Uh, to pick up, but we need not be afraid. Notice his power is limited. His, he's created. Therefore, he's not omnipotent or infinite. I mean, he's powerful, but you know something. This. Wait a second. He's just a created being. Second, he can be resisted by, Christ, by the Christian. We're going to talk about this when we get to Spiritual Warfare 201 and then 301 and really in 401. Resist the devil, the scripture says, and he will flee from me. There is a way to resist him because of who you are, what Jesus has done. You resist, bang, he flees. You don't have to be afraid of him. You need to know what you're doing, but you don't have to be afraid. And then notice, God's places limitations on him. He may want to destroy, but when he wants to, but when he went to go after Job, what, what did he say? He went to God, the Father, and said, This is my game plan. And the Father said, I'll tell you what. Inside this box, okay. Outside, uh-oh. There's a box around you. And there's a box around me. And we cannot be touched beyond what God would allow. His sovereign purpose is to protect us. The application here, as you turn the page, is that balance and wisdom are crucial in our assessment of spiritual opposition. To assess too much or too little credit to the reality of demonic activity is to err greatly. We are not going to walk out of here going, oh, my lands... I cannot believe it. Look at this page. There's verses and verses and verses and verses about Satan and demons. And I'm going to leave the light uh, on the, tonight in the cabin. No, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay, you need to be aware not preoccupied. You need to understand 
He's a formidable foe, but not, but not fear. And the last one we're going to develop, but I just want to touch on it. Because before you go to bed, you need to get this one down. This is the good news. There is an invisible world. There is an invisible cosmic conflict. We do have a foe that is formidable. But here's the good news. As believers in Jesus, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Okay, I'm not trying to be cute. That's really important to get. As believers in Jesus, we do not fight for victory. We're not trying to win. We fight from victory. In Jesus' power, we are invincible. Underneath that, I've given you four promises that I'm telling you that as a believer in Jesus, I don't know if you have any verses memorized at all. If not, these should be the next four. You need to have them down. These are truths that you need to hang on to because these will remind you of who you are and what you have. Notice First John 4, 4. You are from God, okay? As we end this, let's get really positive. You are from God. Little children, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's a fact. First John 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God, that's you. And Christ overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith? Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you're a child of God, that is true, you have the victory. Third, Revelations 12:11. It speaks, it's speaking of this conflict with the dragon, with Satan, and talks about how they overcame him. And they've overcame him, Satan. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb and because the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto death. They overcame him, and his, and his, he's defeated. And the final promise here is, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. In James 4, verses 7 and 8. I want to close with five facts and then open up with a real um, briefly and just some question and answers. I don't know if we're going to do that question and answers, but I won't. But we'll do with the facts, okay? Summary. Are you ready? Satan is a defeated foe. John 12, 31. We'll unpack this, but just get that one down. He is a defeated foe. At the cross, Jesus destroyed the work of the devil. It says so. He destroyed the work of the devil. Third, we are victors in Jesus. But thanks be to God, we walk in his triumph. For we have the power and the resources to resist Satan and demonic attacks. We don't have to be afraid. We have everything we need to be victorious. Every day, every way, as God leads us. And finally, we must learn how to put on the full armor of God to experience in daily living the victory we already possess.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.